study everyone it's good to see you tonight thanks for coming out spending a portion of your evening with us here on westcott street i'm going to take a few moments to pray and then we will dig in to our bible study so let's pray father thank you for uh, just uh, your presence thank you for everyone that you've gathered here we thank you god for this opportunity to meet with you we ask you that you would be so obvious in our midst. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. And we thank you. According to your word, here you are. And so we want to hear you tonight. We want to be inspired by you tonight. We want to receive revelation from you tonight. We want to receive understanding from you tonight. We want to know your love. We want to know more of your grace. We want to know more of your forgiveness. We want to have more of your life tonight. So God, we just ask that you pour out. Jesus, thanks for uh, just meeting with us. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks, God, for being a life giver to your people. Uh, so tonight, I pray your word would challenge us, change us. I pray, God, that we'd respond to you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Matthew chapter 21, if you need a Bible. Uh, they're located on the tables, so you can feel free to help yourself to one of the actual paper Bibles that uh, we have available, or uh, a digital Bible of your choice. And you get to pick the version if you use your digital Bible. Yeah. Matthew chapter 21. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Matthew 21, and I need a volunteer to read verse 10. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, what's going on here, Jeannie? Just look right there. It'll be right at the top of the page or somewhere, probably. I came in on a cult. Jesus did. Right into Okay, so what they call the triumphal entry or what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, it was Jesus entering into Jerusalem as king, and so here he was. It was like a parade, but he was the only person in it. So he had sent his disciples ahead, asked permission. They had, the master had need of a colt and of an ass. And so 
Uh, they brought it to him, and he got on it, and he rode it into Jerusalem, and the people responded. Uh, and so there was this big uproar that was going on in Jerusalem where uh, people were putting palm branches onto the roads as Jesus was riding through. They were throwing down their clothing on the roads. Jesus was riding through, and they were shouting, and it was just a crazy thing. And it was creating an uproar. And so people responded to the uproar. And so I want to just speak just really quickly about uh, Jerusalem at the time. And Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on an ass. It was a statement in a couple of different ways. Jerusalem at the time was in some ways frozen in religious formalism. They had become uh, just a society that followed the rules, which there's nothing wrong with following the rules. It's just when that becomes what you have, though, and that's all you have, it's likely not enough. And so they had become a society following the rules. They had their festivals. They had their feasts when they were supposed to. They did what they were supposed to do. They dressed the way they were supposed to dress. They looked how they were supposed to look. They said the things they were supposed to say. And they participated in the events they were supposed to participate in. And that was really where they were at. But even in Jerusalem, which was enveloped in this formalism, and they were generally socially undemonstrative. Uh, I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody, but uh, societies get this way. And uh, groups of people get this way, where uh, they enter into different times of formalism, especially religious formalism, and become generally undemonstrative. Uh, churches get like that for whatever reasons. And so I've been in churches like that. When I used to go and, and speak places and preach places, yeah, I'd go in all fired up, ready to give them a message, and it's like I couldn't even tell if they were awake. You know, we'd be in service, we'd sing the songs, the pastor would get up and say the things he needed to say, they'd receive an offering, they'd call me up to speak, and, and that was just what it was. And And people didn't really respond, people didn't even respond to one another, it was just, really kind of a dead place and for whatever reasons that happens it happens and it just happens to be that that was the way it was in some of those places so uh, Jerusalem at this time was kind of similar they, they had just uh, reached a point of formalism to the point that they really weren't very demonstrative and yet we have a scene here where people are excited and there's some reasons for that uh, there's reasons why Jerusalem appears to be a little more excited here. But I wanted to, uh, and I want to say, it says the whole city. And what happened was that this is the beginning of the Passover week, this this moment. Uh, this is the Sunday, that Palm Sunday before the Passover, which would be the Friday and Saturday of that week. And so this is the beginning of Passover week. And so people had traveled from all over the known world to be a part of Passover. So there are pilgrims in Jerusalem, according to uh, the different uh, areas of census where they had taken counts of people, they estimated there would be 2,700,000 people in Jerusalem at this time. And it wasn't really that big of a city. So you think about 2,700,000 people in a small city with small streets 
and small areas and some of them were camping outside the city but in the city during the day and there are people from everywhere not just Jerusalem but everywhere and so that begins to explain what happens here that begins to give us an idea of what was actually happening in that uh, people were demonstrative well they weren't all from Jerusalem people were excited well, they weren't all from there. They, they weren't all part of that, that system uh, that, that was represented by the people of Jerusalem. And so you have all of these people from all of these different lands, and they knew what to expect because most of them probably have been pilgrims there before. And this isn't the way that the, the week begins for the Passover. It doesn't begin with a parade. It doesn't begin with everyone shouting in the streets. It doesn't begin with people throwing palm branches down. It doesn't begin with people throwing their clothes on the ground. It doesn't begin with a guy riding into town on an ass. That's not how, that's not how the Passover week begins. This is exciting, you know, because it's something different. And, and so the word travels fast when you have 2.7 million people in a small place. And, and people aren't used to this. People haven't ever seen this before. Words traveling fast. And you hear the crowds. You hear people shouting. You hear the commotion. You hear the demonstration that's happening. And it's an exciting time. And that begins to explain some of the excitement that you see on this Sunday that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Now, he's making a statement. Because he's entering Jerusalem as king. But he doesn't look like a king. He, he never really looked like a king by any standard that we have. He looked like um, just a, a guy that uh, could slip away into a crowd and no one noticed who he was. And, and I want to say that because I think it's remarkable that Jesus was so unremarkable. I think it's remarkable that we have instances in the scriptures where he was under threat, and the Bible said he just slipped away into the crowd. I mean, you think about how unremarkable a person must be to be able to slip away into a crowd of people that, you know, most of them probably didn't know why they were there, but a certain number of them had gathered to throw him out of the city or a certain number of them had gathered to throw him over the wall or a certain number of them had gathered to kill him but he was able to slip through the crowd and no one would even know they didn't they didn't grab him didn't do anything he was that unremarkable as a person at least physically i mean he's a remarkable person but physically he was unremarkable the bible talks about that there was nothing about him that would draw us to him that's what was prophesied over him and that you see in the old testament that there would be nothing about his physical appearance that would draw people to him. And so this unremarkable-looking man uh, is here riding on an unremarkable ass in unremarkable clothing, and he's making a statement because he's a king. He's making a statement because he's the Messiah. He's making a statement because he's the anointed one. But he's, he doesn't look like it. And so he's making a statement to the people there about what really matters. And there's a, there's a statement that's being made every time we celebrate Palm Sunday, that there's a statement being made by Jesus as he rides into that city. 
A statement that's being made to a multitude of people that are going to take that, whatever they learn, whatever they take from what they see there, they're going to take that back to their nations, back to their countries, back to their people, back to their cultures. This is a, a super strategic time for him to ride into Jerusalem because he had a bunch of people that were going to be leaving there in a week. A bunch of people that were going to witness what was about to happen and they were going to take that news wherever they went to the, the, the outstretched world, however far that went at this time. They were going to take that. We know it went into parts of northern Africa. We know that this part of the world went north. This part of the world went east. We know that. And so we, we have an understanding that they're taking this message. And part of that message was the way Jesus looked. Part of that message was the way that he rode into town that day. Part of that message was enveloped in his unremarkable appearance. Because part of that message was that it didn't have anything to do with how he looked. We want it to. We want him to look a certain way. We want him to resemble something that that would make us think of uh, of being kingly or of having authority or, or, or being able to command angels or something. like we think, we think to ourselves, like, well, he must have looked a certain way, but he didn't look a certain way. And that's part of what is remarkable about his story. And part of what's remarkable about this is that he's making a statement here that being selfish gets you nowhere. He's making a statement here that the pride of life is deception. He's making a statement here that lusting for what others have is weak. I mean, he's making a lot of statement here in that he's in a culture of people that look at one another all the time and try to gauge themselves over whatever ever somebody else is doing. They try to look as nice as the guy next to him, or they try to dress up like they do, or they try to exhibit their power, their authority in certain ways so that other people could see it. You think about how the Pharisees walked through town. Everybody knew they were Pharisees. How? By the way they dressed. How did everybody know they were Pharisees? By what they said. How did they know they were Pharisees? By the way their hair was. And the fact that they had the phylacteries, they had like pieces of Scripture that were woven into their hair and woven into their garments. People knew who they were. They could see it. They carried themselves a certain way. And so, without saying anything, people would know, oh, that's a Pharisee, or that's a Sadducee, or that's a scribe, that's a member of the council. Oh, look, that guy over there, he's in charge of whatever it was he was in charge of. Why? Because they looked a certain way. Well, Jesus didn't look that way. And if you can accept, accept what I'm saying, it can maybe set you free from some things. Because I grew up a certain way. I grew up with a certain way of thinking about things. I grew up with a certain way of understanding the world. I grew up with a certain way of understanding God. I grew up with a certain way. I lived in a culture everyone believes in God. And not only does everyone believe in God in the culture I grew up in, everybody is saved, but they're not really. Everybody is born again, but they're not really. They just know the words. They know the formalities of it. And they'll tell you all about it, but that doesn't mean anything. And I grew up kind of figuring that out over time. It's like, yeah, anybody can say that. What does that really mean, though? didn't really mean much to me. 
And it wasn't until I was old enough and older that I was able to really come into any kind of relationship with Jesus. But I knew all the words. I knew what it looked like. I knew what I was supposed to look like. I knew what I was supposed to talk like. You got to talk this way. Oh, okay. Why? Well, that way you know you're a Christian. Well, I'm not sure that that's what's important. And I think that I think that's what he's saying here too, and that's what he's showing us. And so, if you can receive that, accept that, then there may be a moment, or there may be a degree of freedom that God wants to minister into your heart. Because I, I, mean, I work with people, I train interns, and part of the training of, of an intern is talking about Jesus. We have to answer that question. One of the main questions we answer is, you know, who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is likely not who a person grows up thinking he is. He's likely a little bit different than that. And I don't say that because I think so. I say that because that's the way he revealed himself. Uh, that we have created an image of him, which the Bible strictly forbids us to do. We have created an image of him that is more reflective of us than it is of him. And that's a dangerous thing. When our God becomes more reflective of us than we are of Him, then everything's backwards. So he rides into town. He's on this colt, on this ass. So it's kind of like a, a parade. And, and the whole city, the Bible tells us, this whole city that was filled with pilgrims from different lands saw something different, something new to start the festivities. And the Bible tells us that the whole city was stirred up. Stirred up. Now, that word there, stirred up, is an interesting word because in some of the Bibles it says that the city was moved. And in some of your Bibles, it might say that they were excited. There was an excitement about them. The word literally means to be shaken or convulsed like an earthquake or a mighty wind. That's what the word means. So the ones that said moved, you know, that's kind of what it means. They, they got moved. In other words, there was a mighty wind and an earthquake that shook them up. All right? And, and so that's what's being described here, that there was a shaking that was going on in Jerusalem because of what they were witnessing, what they were seeing, and the way that people were responding to Jesus. There was an excitement that was happening. Some Bibles even translated that the whole city was alarmed. So if you put all those words together, what words did I use? I said moved, I said excited, I said shaken, convulsed, astonished, alarmed, a mighty wind, earthquake kind of shaking. That gives you an idea of what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. But again, remember, Jerusalem was filled with people who didn't live there. Right? You have to keep that in mind. This whole story centers around the fact that Jerusalem was filled with people that didn't live there. They weren't from there. Some of them were from other parts of Israel. So some of the people that were there knew who Jesus was. A lot of people there knew who Jesus was. They had seen him, say, in his Galilean ministry. Some of the people knew who Jesus was. They had seen him when he had been ministering wherever it is he was ministering. Some of them had seen someone like Lazarus raised from the dead. They had witnessed that. So 
Some of them had, had seen him when he was ministering healing people. Some of them had been there for the Sermon on the Mount. Some of them had been there when they saw the miraculous catch of fish. Some of them had been there and part of the crowd of people that he fed miraculously with the fish and the loaves. Twice. Some of them were there for that. Some of them may have seen him walk on water. Yeah. So understand that some of these people were apart and had seen things that he had done that others of them hadn't. Some of them were witness to some of his ministry that he hadn't done in Jerusalem. Some of them were witness to what he had said. Some of them were witness to what he had done. Some of them were witness to what he had taught. Some of them knew more than others did. And so you had this mixed crowd of people from all over the place, and they were responding and reacting to Jesus riding into town. They were stirred up. The whole city, in fact, was stirred up. Now, some of people weren't so excited about it. Okay? And there's a verse in here where it talks about that. If you look at John 12:19, there's an allusion to this uh, that's happening here. John 12:19. Sorry, I want to read that. But there's an allusion to the city being stirred up. And, and this is just an example of how everyone isn't so excited that the city is all stirred up. May I read that? Literally, the whole world has gone after him. Why? Who was representing Jerusalem at this time? The whole world. Okay? Their whole known world. Now, we know it wasn't the whole world. But from their perspective, you follow me? From their perspective, that was the whole world. And the whole world was followed after him. They weren't so happy about that, were they? In fact, they were jealous, envious, angry. Like, who is this guy? He's coming into town. What does he look like? He's not even dressed up. He didn't have the right kind of hair. His beard wasn't shaved right, probably. He probably wasn't you know, following all the, the Pharisee rules or the Sadducee rules or all the scribe rules. He probably isn't doing all that. He probably didn't look like much of a rabbi. Definitely didn't look like they wanted him to look. He didn't talk about things they wanted to talk about at all. In fact, his very existence and his appearance in his existence challenged their power structure. They didn't like that. It challenged their base of influence. Because what did I say? What were some of the statements he was making? Hey, being envious and lusting for what others have is weak. And so he's telling them that. It's like you base your whole lives on comparing yourself to other people. You're weak. It's a waste of time. You try to consolidate your power base by lording it over other people. You're weak. It's a waste of time. That's what he's telling them. Because here's a guy riding in on a donkey or a form of a donkey. I don't know all the technical terms for donkeys. But he's coming in in a form of a donkey, an ass, a colt, whatever it was. And here he comes in. But he's everything... They're not. In fact, he's everything they hate. They're usually able to look at guys like this and make themselves feel better about themselves. But they look at this guy, they don't feel better about themselves. Why? Because the whole world is going after him. 
The city is in an uproar. The city is excited. The city is being shaken by this guy coming into town. Because there were enough people there that knew, that knew what he spoke was truth, that knew that the power of the Father was through him, the power of the Holy Spirit was through him, that knew he could raise the dead, that knew he could heal the sick, and that knew he could cast out demons. They knew it. And they're pretty excited he was coming to town. And so you think about people being moved. Because this multitude was giving Jesus honor. You think about being moved to this point. Clothes, they didn't have clothes like we have clothes. Alright? In fact, a lot of places we travel in the world, people don't have clothes like we have clothes. What do I mean by that? I mean by that that you know, I had to pick a shirt to wear today. Right? Yeah. And so that meant I had lots of shirts I could choose from. And so I, I have those choices. In fact, I had to pick a pair of socks to wear today because I have lots of pairs of socks. And I had to pick a pair of shoes to wear today because I have lots of pairs of shoes. Now, everywhere in the world can do that. There's lots of places in the world people can't do that. And and lots of families I've stayed with where they don't pick like between four or five different pairs of shoes. They don't pick, you know, between four or five different colors of socks. And they don't pick between 20 or 30 shirts. And these are families I know. These are people I've lived with and been with. And so clothing in other parts of the world is a little more valuable at least in the sense of value to the individual. And so you think about these people being so excited. It's one thing to cut some branches off of some palm trees and throw them on the ground. But you start thinking about these people willing to lay their clothing down on the ground to let an ass walk on it so that Jesus was welcomed into town and given him honor. See, that's pretty exciting. Especially in a place where they don't have a lot of clothes. I mean, if I were to lay down my shirt, I got like 29 other shirts I can wear. That donkey can have my shirt. Okay? It's not a big deal. But to them, it is a big deal. To them, it's the clothing, literally the clothing off their back that they were giving willingly because they're excited about giving honor to Jesus. They willingly laid it down. And so what were they saying? They were shouting. What does it say in the verse there? Anybody? What are they shouting when Jesus is coming into town? You all know this. Pretend it's Palm Sunday. Get yourself in that mode. What were they saying? Hosanna. Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Anybody know? If you don't, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, um, it's an expression that means it's an expression that means um, you are king. Save now. It means literally save now. But it's an expression to him telling him, he's like, you're the king. You're the Messiah. You're, you're the anointed one. Save us now. It was a cry for him to deliver them. It was a cry for him to bring salvation into their lives. It was a cry for him to set them free. That's what it was. And that's what they were shouting to him. It was like, set us free. Save now. 
And they were shouting, they were applauding, they were excited, they were laying their clothing down, he, they were giving him honor, but days later, crowds are fickle. You know that? Crowds fickle, man. They love you one minute. Days later, what were they doing? What were they shouting days later? Crucify him, right. Yeah. So we got one week, save now, you're the king. It's good to be the king. A week later, less than a week later, five days later, crucify him. Crucify him. And you think about it, it's like, you know, Jesus is nice. Right? Everybody thinks Jesus is nice. Pretty much. Yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a nice man. Uh, he's good, whatever people want to believe he is. But how about that call to be a disciple, huh? How about it? What about being a disciple? You excited about that? Jesus is nice. How about being a disciple? Mm -hmm. I don't know about that. What's that going to cost me? Oh, everything. He wants to hear that. Well, yeah, understood. I understand that. And I understand the fact that Jesus is nice when Jesus is nice when he's far away. Or, you know, he's you know out here doing something. Or you think he's going to do something for you. He's real nice. Well, what, what happens when it's going to cost you something? Yeah. It's not so exciting anymore. And and so Jesus understood that. You think about anybody riding into town on a donkey, right? Like dressed the way he was, whatever what he was wearing, he's wearing. Like I said, he didn't have like wardrobe changes. So he's just riding into town on his donkey, and they're they're all shouting and hollering and and laying the branches down, Hosanna in the high, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, whatever. And and save now, you're the king, all that stuff. He's just yelling at him. Now, why did Jesus go to Jerusalem? You remember? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Why was he heading to Jerusalem? He set his face toward Jerusalem. Why? To die. To die. Well, so why is he heading into Jerusalem? Why is he riding that donkey into Jerusalem? Because he wants to be popular? Why is he die, riding that donkey in Jerusalem? Because he, he wants people to, to, to yell and scream, you're the king? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. He knew why he went there. He knew when he was on the road to Jerusalem, why he went there. So now he's in Jerusalem. Why do you think he's there? He Does he know? Well, of course he knows. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He told his disciples why he was going to Jerusalem. And he was there now. Why? To die. That's what the Father had for him. And he understood that. And so... I would have to believe the crowd is singularly unimpressive to him because he understands they're going to kill him. Five days. Hence. Five days. So, soak it in, people. For a day, they're going to kill him, though, in five days. crowd is fickle. And, and that's part of his message that he's bringing on this day is that the crowd is fickle and that is fleeting. All of it. All of it. It's unimportant. 
What did I say was unimportant? Well, I read you a few things that were important. I said, he's making a statement. Selfishness is unimportant. The pride of life is unimportant. Lust for what others have is weakness. That's what he's saying. Popularity by the crowd. Fleeting at best. Fleeting at best. So these are lessons that he's bringing not only to the people of Jerusalem, but like I said, to the whole world. Because the whole world was there. The whole world was witnessing that. The whole world would see that. And the whole world would have this message to take back to wherever they came from. Every single one of them would have a message to take back to where they came from. Because all of this would transpire within the week that they were in Jerusalem for the festival. They'd see it all. And so this is a, this is a practical lesson for us. It was a practical lesson for them. It was a lesson they could take back to wherever they were, where we're coming from. And so Jesus takes this, I would have to say with a grain of salt, and understands what's going on. So you have this huge celebration, parade, everybody's excited, the city's in an uproar, Pharisees are angry, I mean, you got all this happening. And the, the question they ask at the end of this verse is this. Who is this? And that's one of the two basic questions of discipleship. Who's Jesus? Well, who is he? And that's what they're asking. And so you look at that and his whole studies of who Jesus is. Branches of theology. Uh, the idea is the study of Christ is a Christology. In other words, uh, there's whole books, volumes of books, libraries dedicated to uh, Christology. Because who is Jesus? And they want to know. Some of them knew, in a sense. Some of them knew. They, they had seen him, like I said. They had watched him. They had seen him. Uh, heard him, they had uh, received of his teaching, they had, some had been healed by him probably, out of the 2,700,000 people that were there at that time, some had been healed by him, some of them had been delivered, uh, they had, had demons cast out by him, um, I don't know where Lazarus is, he didn't live that far from Jerusalem, maybe he was there, he raised him from the dead, so people had received from him, they were there, so some people kind of knew who he was in a way, some people had been fed by him, they saw the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. They're part of that 4,000 or that 5,000. It's part of that 9,000, that mass of people on the two different occasions. So some of them were part of that and they'd receive miraculous feedings. Uh, they, they probably all, at least of those that had known him or seen him, had some idea of who he was based on their limited perspective on what they had experienced by him. Because some of them maybe only heard the Sermon on the Mount, but they didn't hear any of his other teachings. Maybe someone only heard, uh, say, the prodigal son parable when he taught that, but they didn't hear any of the other teachings. So they had a partial understanding of what he was teaching, had a partial understanding of what he was saying. And so they, they all had this question. It's like, all right, well, I know this part. That guy knows that part. We all know something, so we all know a little bit. Who's Jesus? Who is this guy? And some of them had no idea who he was. So who is this guy? And so that was... The question that was asked. If you, you can read the answers, it, they say it right after this. But they pick an aspect of Jesus that would be most understandable to strangers. 
that were in Jerusalem at that time. So, in other words, why is this guy receiving all this honor? Why are people laying down their clothing so that his donkey can pass over the top of it? Why are people shouting, save us, and calling him the king? Why is all this? Who is he? Well, the answer that was given there, anybody have that? It says who he is. Yeah. So they identify with the one aspect of Jesus most understandable to strangers. What? That he's a prophet. So of that religious context that was taking place in Jerusalem at that time, that would be the designation that most people would understand. Well, he's a prophet. He's from Nazareth in Galilee. So they say, this is his function. This is where he's from. They answered the question. Follow it? That's the answer to the question. This is function. This is where he's from. That's the end of the story. But he was more than that. You know, in most Christology, they talk about Jesus. Every, every, every single exam I ever had to take to be a minister, I'd take three. Uh, the first one was three hours long. Then it was one that I think was five hours and one that was eight hours long. All right, that was the three steps in doing that. Every one of them had this one question on it. And I could always count on it. What are the three offices of Christ? It's on every one of them. Every single one of them. Cam, what are the three offices of Christ? You have a 66% on that. Yeah, no, that's good. Prophet, priest, and king. Okay, those are the three offices of Christ. <laughs> we just took this course. That's why I'm messing <laughs> we just went through this. So, uh, well, it wasn't just. It was like a week and a half ago. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are the three offices of Christ. Okay? And, and so those three offices are convenient ways for us to look at Jesus and say, okay, uh, if we're building Christology, we're building understanding of Jesus, well, who is Jesus? Well, those are his three offices. So they picked one, which was the people would be most familiar with. It was his prophet. Well, he, he's not a part of the tribe of Levi, so it would be hard to explain the priest one, right? Because no one would understand that. These are all Jewish people from the known world. So they couldn't explain that. And the other king, well, he's riding on a donkey. He doesn't look like a king, right? They're all saying he's the king, but it, it's like it doesn't fit. Like nothing's fitting. And to a stranger, they didn't know he raised the dead and that he healed the sick and that he delivered people and all the stuff like that. They would not understand that at all. So you look at all those those three offices. What's the one that most people could understand that would have been there during that time? Well, prophet. So they call him a prophet. Because prophets sometimes uh, dress, you know, kind of in funny clothes. Like John the Baptist was a prophet and he dressed in like camel's hair and, and had a leather belt and ate locusts and honey. I mean, he's kind of weird looking, right? Or whatever, from what we understand. Or you got the prophets of the Old Testament. Sometimes they'd walk around in their underwear and prophesy. Stuff like that. And so people kind of had the experience with prophets and historically had an experience with prophets that they could be a little bit eccentric. They could be a little different. And so he was different. And so that was the easiest thing for them to say. Well, he's a prophet. Which makes sense. Well, was he a prophet? Well, sure. But he wasn't just a prophet. And, and the thing that I, I just want to say here is be careful in your view of Jesus to overly define him. 
Because we want, we love closure. Everybody loves closure. But there's certain things we're not going to get closure about. And, and one thing that I, I believe it's really hard, really difficult to obtain any, even a measure of closure, honest closure, is when it comes to God in, in whatever form He is. So, you know, you think about Jesus. You know, we can look at Jesus. We can say certain facts about Jesus. We can talk about Jesus' teachings. Like I said, we can fill a library with different things and different theories and different thoughts about Jesus. But it's still not everything He is. Because He's alive. And He's been alive for a long time. And He's still active. And He's still interceding. And He's still at the right hand of the Father. And He's still actively involved in what's going on. And we know from the book of Revelation He has an active future. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He was present in creation. He holds all things together. I mean, you start thinking about all of that and you think about an eternal understanding of answering this question of who Jesus is. That revelation is too big. And so I just want to encourage you, be careful about overly defining Jesus. You can talk about your experiences with him for sure. And to me, that's the best way to define him. It's like, well, this is what I know about him. These are my experiences. This is, this is who I've come to know. And that, for a lot of people that ask the question like that, that's more meaningful than a bunch of scripture verses. It's more meaningful to be able to say, well, this is who he's been in my life. This is what I've seen of him. This is what I've known of him. This is what it's like to have a relationship with him. This is what it's like to walk with him every day. This is what it's like to communicate with him, to not only pray, but to hear him and to be able to have that kind of interaction with him. This is what that is like. This is what his love is like. This is what his grace is like to me. This is what his forgiveness is like to me in my life. And there's nothing wrong with, with being able to quote Scripture. There's nothing wrong with being able to, to share what you know from the Bible and all that. I mean, I think it's awesome. But for most people, I mean, you start losing them after a few verses because they don't, they don't have a background or they don't have an understanding of that. And so really what they're looking for is what does Jesus or who is Jesus to me? And, and that, I think, is a more important question that we can actually answer. Not that you can answer who he is to them as an individual, but you can answer that question for you, who he is to me. And, and I think that helps people more. And so I want to encourage you toward that. If you want to dig into Jesus, please do. Please. I mean, I, I think it's an awesome study. And I spent years of my life studying Jesus. Uh, he's central to what, to all that we believe. I spent years in this church. I didn't, I never taught or preached outside the gospels for years. I would just open up. You, you could come every Sunday. You know what I'm, where I'm going. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And it is so deep and so rich that I never had to teach the same thing twice. Unless I meant to. Because there's just that much. And so I, I, it's central to who we are. You think about the whole Old Testament is leading to Jesus. And then you've got all the epistles looking back and helping the church understand Jesus. Okay? 
And so, where am I going to go for my teaching? This is my philosophy for those years. You know where I was going to go for my teaching? Jesus. I could tell you all about everything leading up to him, and I could, I could look in the epistles and looking back and helping people understand who he is, or I could just go right to him and preach him and teach him and reveal him to people, which I thought was more important at the time. That's what I did. Because you can dedicate your whole life to studying Jesus and get a little bit out of it compared to who he is. Having said that, in light of what we're looking at tonight, I would suggest, and I really believe this, he'd be pretty confused attending church. It's pretty confusing. And so I want to say that because I really believe that we're called to an authenticity in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus. I really believe that. And I believe that part of that authenticity is understanding him in a way that makes sense. In a way that is going to make sense not only to us, but to the people around us. Being able to express him to a people so that he can make sense to them. I I wrote a bunch of stuff here at the end, and I'll share it real quick. But this idea of, of how Jesus showed himself to people, he showed himself to people in ways that they could understand. He spoke in parables. Why? Because there were stories that people could understand. He, 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 he revealed himself as someone that had no outstanding physical characteristics that we know of. Why? Because that's easier for people to understand. Everything about him had to do with revealing the Father to a world that needed to know the Father. And needed to be able to hear him and be able to receive from him and be able to hear what word that he was giving them. And if that meant that he was going to be unremarkable, then so be it. If that meant that he was going to live his life in meekness, then so be it. Because you look at this and he's entering into Jerusalem. Yeah, I know crowds are going nuts while he's walking in there on that donkey. But there's a certain meekness about him. Why? Because the way he was dressed and the way he conducted himself. himself, There's a certain meekness about him, about how he looked, that nothing about that changed. And his glory, and, and understand these people were giving glory to him in his meekness. It wasn't that he looked flashy. It wasn't that he had on kingly robes. It wasn't that he was riding a white stallion. It wasn't that there were trumpets blasting before he came. Because that would have been the usual pomp for a king coming into town. It wasn't any of those things. He was dressed the way he was dressed. He looked the way he looked. He was riding on a donkey. And, And the adulation, the glory, the honor that he was given was in his meekness. And there's just a little, like a little glimpse in that moment, that moment of the kingdom of God, of a value that we just have to have. So why did he work that? I mean, why was he just like that? Well, he was working mercy. He was working salvation. And that was the triumphal entry. That was it. And it's funny, we use the word triumph because that's a, 
that's actually a noun uh, that was uh, described uh, a procession in Rome when conquering kings would come back from whatever their campaign was and they would have all of these gifts and all of these artifacts and animals and exotic things that they captured that they would bring back to Rome so that everyone in Rome could see where they had been and what they had done and all that they had conquered. I mean, it's, a, it's an actual thing. And, and so they would just ride through town with all of these, whatever they were, you know, it might be lions or it could be baboons or it could have been a giraffe or a zebra, something that no one had seen before in Rome. And, and they'd see these things or these artifacts or wagons of gold or silver or all the things, the art that they would bring. So awesome. What did Jesus bring? We call this a triumphal entry. You think about that for a second. We want it to be, right? And it was in a spiritual way, but it wasn't in a physical way. What, what was he showing off? Being average Joe? Yeah. Not wearing the, you know, not having the fancy clothes? Yeah. Looking like everybody else? Yeah, that's what he was showing off. See, it's a glimpse. A glimpse, man, just in that moment of the kingdom of God. That's where the glory is. And it marked the triumphal entry. And, And people that had witnessed all the stuff he had done, like all the miracles and wonders and raising the dead and everything that he had he had taken care of, people that witnessed all those things, man, they they never seen big crowds of people shouting, "You're the king." They never witnessed anything like that. They never saw people throwing their clothes down while he's they never even saw him ride a donkey before that we know of. They never seen him not walking because he just walked everywhere. I've never seen him on the back of a beast. Definitely never seen people react in this way. Never seen anything like this happen before. But you know who was the same in all of that? The crowd's fickle, right? And the crowd was reacting, but who was the same? Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's the point. He's the same. Let's just take a moment. I'm going to encourage you to uh, let God speak some truth to you tonight. Uh, let Him challenge you. Maybe some thoughts or let Him challenge some ways that you see things. Uh, we're all brought up and the way we were brought up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you came from. I was, I was brought up with certain biases and, you know, uh, saw different paintings and different pieces of art that influenced the way I thought about things. And sometimes we need to have some things challenged because not everything that we think is right. And that's okay. We don't have to be right. It's just good to know the truth. So Heavenly Father, I pray that um, 
you challenge us tonight. I pray your word challenges the way we see Jesus and the way that we understand him. And I pray you begin to broaden our understanding, broaden our, our, our real, the real, the way our vision of who he is. Cause God, I ask you tonight that we wouldn't just hold on to things just cause. Well, I've always thought this. Okay. You may be challenging us to reconsider. Or you may be challenging us, challenging us to change our mind. Or you may be challenging us to maybe consider something new tonight. Something different. But God, I pray that you will use this passage of scripture to draw us closer, closer to Jesus. And I have enough confidence in Jesus that he can reveal himself. So God, I just, I pray that over hearts tonight. I pray revelation. I pray understanding. I pray a shedding of Lies, fairy tales, false ideas, a shedding, and a freeing away from those things. Pray, God, that you remind us tonight what really matters and what doesn't. Pray you remind us tonight about what you care about and what you don't care about. And I pray that you'd begin to simplify our thinking concerning your purposes and your will for our lives. Thanks. Just let the Holy Spirit have His way in you. Let the Holy Spirit have His way in your mind. Let the Holy Spirit have His way in your understanding. Yeah, we serve a God that does things like that. Because it matters how you seem. It matters. Because it affects who you are. So Jesus, tonight we say thanks for working salvation in us. We give you thanks for your mercy. And we give you thanks for your grace. Pray we be faithful to share what our lives in you have done. We give you honor and praise tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good to see you. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. 
That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 